My name is Eduardo Zanata. I'm Vice President of Operations at the Vita and an MBA graduate of the Harvard Business School. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the hope of bringing together a community committed to navigating the business world with our faith at the center of our lives. In this podcast, you'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you, both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And now I will pass it over to Kurt Frankham, who will host this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Jeremy and Kristen Andrus. How are you two? Great. We're great. <laughs> they they just had lunch, so we're ready to go, right? <laughs> Let's do yes. this. Cool. Now, uh, when, when people, I mean, you're, you're, whether you like this term or not, but you're like a power couple, right? I mean, in the, uh, in the business world, in the social media world, is that uh, appropriate to label you that way? Ooh, I don't know. Do you want to take that Kristen, one? Kristen, what do you think? I definitely want to take that one. We are the least powerful people in our home. <laughs> oh, yeah. My two boys that are four just ran away from home a minute ago. Yeah, like not <laughs> so, for good. So uh, powerful is, uh, it depends who you're asking. If you're asking our kids, absolutely not. In the business world and in Utah, I'd say Jeremy absolutely is. Yeah. Nice. Do you know what? It's uh, We've been married 16 years now almost and uh i mean we, we still think back to the first house that we could barely afford to buy uh-huh. that we bought because Kristen brought some money into the marriage from uh from her work and uh life has changed a lot since then but when you're growing up with each other like it's yeah i, I, I that, that that term doesn't resonate other than to say that where we have uh, a voice or people are watching, it's uh, it's fun to use that uh, for good. Yeah, I bet, I bet. And and there's something about you know a relationship that starts be before the success, quote unquote, success of of maybe business or whatnot, and uh, that binds you together and prepares you for that bumpy road because it just doesn't happen, right? It doesn't, and it's uh it's been a great road, but it's it's always great looking back, uh-huh. but uh, definitely bumpy along the way. Nice. Nice. So I think one thing I'd add really quick to that is, um, I talk about, I talk a lot about marriage and stuff online, but one thing that I think Jeremy and I are really good at is we're both full, successful, happy, quote, maybe powerful people on our own. Hmm. We're not leaning to each other to look, to kind of buoy that up. Like I have my own thing that I love and I'm passionate about. Jeremy absolutely has his own lane that he's passionate about and very successful and doing great on his own. And then when we come together, I feel like those two holes make more Mm. than it could ever be on our own if we are trying to kind of fill that with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So where'd you two meet? How how did that story go about? Uh, We met at a wedding in the San Francisco Bay area where I'm from. We actually both flew in, didn't know each other. We got um, sat at the same table and I saw that his last name was Andrus. And it turned out he was an East Coast Andrus, but I knew some of, uh, I knew his grandmother who was actually in my ward growing up uh-huh. and dear, dear friends of ours and some of her kids, but they were all the ones in California and Jeremy and his family were the only ones on the East Coast. And uh, that's, that's where we met. Nice. 
Nice. It happened pretty quick for you, Jeremy, or what, what was the, uh, you well, know, I should mean, I take that one, Jeremy? <laughs> d- 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 define quick. I will say that, and she missed the first, the, the first part. When I saw her, I oh. was so struck by her. Uh, she walked, it, it was an outdoor wedding amphitheater. I offered her my suit jacket and she turned it down. Ooh. And that was me because I, I was very drawn to her. And we, at the time we were both living in Utah, which we did for four or five months after that and we saw each other every single day mm-hmm. and then Kristen wouldn't call it quick and then three years later we got engaged <laughs> yeah he he likes a spreadsheet where something tells you this is the correct answer <laughs> and there was no spreadsheet in dating and marriage and so it took him a little time to find the uh, answer he was he knew was there <laughs> I am a I was drawn to her immediately I am a methodical thoughtful <laughs> deliberate decision maker and I don't want to suggest she's she's anything but. I'm not. But we, we move at very different paces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, it worked out nonetheless, right? Perfectly. Right. Perfect. Um, so, Jeremy, tell me about your, uh, as far as like the the business direction you went in. I mean, was it early on in college, in high school, as, as a five-year-old? I mean, when did the business school and whatnot, that direction come to the surface? You, you know what? Uh, of course, everything in the rearview mirror is clear. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> As I look back, I realize I always thought like an entrepreneur. Like I remember buying a lawnmower when I was six, seven years old and getting a paper route in Minnesota when I was eight years old and getting up at 4.30 in the morning to deliver papers to make money. And I was always motivated by thinking about how I could build something. And yet when my career started, it I meandered a lot. And hmm. uh, it wasn't as clear to me you know, I, I wanted to be a business leader. I wanted to be a CEO, but the path to getting there wasn't clear. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I was all over the place for 10 years. I, I was a management consultant. I day traded stocks full time for a while. I built real estate. I started a frozen beverage supply company. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it was uh, it, 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 it was meandering, but uh, it, it, it was informative. And I learned a lot about me uh, what made me tick, what frustrated me, what made me feel sort of cramped and uninspired. And um, there was a moment where the pieces started to come together, and that was at Skull Candy. Mm-hmm. And Skull Candy was a very bumpy eight years, but it's where I found uh, my passion. It's been, like, it's, it, it's been a great career since, uh, but it took a while to get there. It was yeah. a little frustrating for a while, actually. Yeah. I'm suddenly self-conscious of my $10 Amazon headphones. You, you, you know what? <laughs> anyway. It, 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 brands aren't for everyone, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, you went to, you got your undergrad at BYU? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then was business school an obvious next step for you, or did it take a while to get there? You know what? Uh, it, it was obvious early on growing up, and the reason I chose to go back is that between BYU and uh, Harvard Business School, I started as a management consultant. I day traded stocks full time for six months and I developed real estate. And I got to the end of this, towards the end of this period, and I said, I really don't know what I want to do, who, who I want to mm. become from a business perspective. And so for me, it was an opportunity to go back and find a, a moment to reset and sort of reevaluate what I wanted to do. And uh, glad I did it. But um, I don't know that it got me any closer. It, yeah. it, was a, it was a great two-year period, and it was very expensive. 
but um, you know, it's uh, you kind of I, I really figured things out by doing and by sort of asking myself along the way, how do I feel when I do this? How motivated? How inspired am I? Versus how much is it like pure pure discipline that's ripping me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Christopher, for, for your journey, I mean, what, what did you want to be, whether as, as a young girl or in college or whatnot? Yeah. So my dad growing up, uh, my dad was a stockbroker, what they oh, called cool. them back in the nineties. Uh-huh. Um, and so that always appealed to me. I actually, that's what I went to school for and had a job lined up, but, um, nine 11 happened, which, oh, wow actually pushed me back. I was supposed to go to back to New York and they pushed it back a year. And so I ended up getting an outside sales job that I never left because I, uh, I made a lot of money as a single girl right out of college and I enjoyed it. And it was, um, definitely sales is something that comes easy to me. And it was a great thing. And actually how I made our down first down payment in our home, because Jeremy was an entrepreneur and wasn't bringing and any monies. I had a lot of savings from working and we traveled the world through my job together and different things like that, which was really fun. Then I bought a um, women's fitness, a gym, knowing that we're going to get married. And I moved to Utah, um, which is funny because I kind of came kicking and screaming. I wanted to live in San Francisco and now I couldn't be more grateful to be here, um, but bought a, a women's fitness center, which was right up my alley because I love fitness. Um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Started having a couple of kids and then realized by, I think, kid number three that I can't I can't do both of these things. So I'm going to stay home and uh, was really involved. Skull Candy felt a little bit like a family business. Um, not not exactly, but, you know, it was a big, big part of our life and our family. We traveled a lot with it and uh had so many amazing opportunities in our life. And then as we've had different outcomes, um, service and giving back and philanthropy has become really important to our family and of, of a way of keeping us grounded of when something happens, we don't look at what can we consume. We look at what can we give back. I joke that Jeremy goes to work every day so that I can give all of our money away. And that's <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of true. Yeah. It's a good um, team there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I look back and I think my mom always not as, vocally and obviously not online back in the day, but she was always serving. She was always out helping. She was taking the underdog to lunch. She was taking the woman that was struggling dinner. Like that was just always in the back of my head. And so I think it came naturally when uh, we've been given opportunities where we can give back in in a big and small ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So where along your education journey did you two meet and, and marry? Right after Harvard. Okay. Yep. So, so driven with Harvard, I mean, was that a dream school for you? I mean, that brings a lot of prestige and, uh, you know, it's not just any other business school there. It, it, it was, I mean, yeah. that, that was a decision I'd made when I was 14 or 15 years old. Oh, wow. And, um, and, and actually I didn't get in the first time I applied, oh, yeah. which was devastating to me. I got into other business schools, but, uh, there was only one that I was committed to going to. And so, uh, got rejected, doubled down. Uh, and I remember going to meet with the Dean and sitting down and saying at the end, just so you know, I'm going to apply year after year after year. And so you know, you might as well, you might as well accept me the second time. Cause you're going to keep getting my application. <laughs> Fortunately, the second time I got in. Oh, cool. Nice. And, and, and as far as that attitude of doubling down and saying like, this is cause I'm sure there's, there were other business schools that accepted you that are probably pretty respectable as well, you know? And so, I mean, how do you get, uh, what was that doubling down look like other than maybe, uh, 
you know, engaging with the the admissions people. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I so so I did. Uh, I went and I changed career direction a little bit. I, I reached out to people to to get some guidance on how to position myself better. But I think it speaks to you know just generally my DNA. I mean, I, I I'm a very com- when I when I get committed to something. I go after it, and mm-hmm. and it can be a little bit obsessive sometimes. <laughs> like when it, when, it, when I choose, nodding and laughing. Like some things never change. <laughs> when it, when it, when I when I choose to do something, you know, and and, and this is part of my philosophy. I, I didn't I didn't choose to be that. Uh, that uh-huh. that's just how my mind thinks, and it always has. But it's something that I've thought a lot about. You know, as I think about where am I on this scale of talent versus sort of grit and determination. And um, as as I read books about grit and about super talented people who become something or someone, I realize that sort of a willingness to grind and think about life as a marathon as opposed to a sprint is really what most successful people do to accomplish. And, you know, you even when I look at the best athletes in the world, you know, what you see are the moments of glory. But they are not only the most talented, they're always the hardest working. Hmm. And so that's just something that's always, you know, it's always driven me. And I think there's, there's, a, there, there's a mindset that's valuable there, which is um, when you fall down in, in a sprint and you're in trouble, it's over. But when, the, when it's a long, long race, it's decades long, you figure out how, do you work, how to work your way out of it. And... Um, I just think life is all about the long game that way. Yeah. So if you had an undergrad in, uh, graduate in front of you who was determined to get into Harvard, uh, what are what are some best practices or tips you'd give them to position yourself similar to what people told you? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, first of all, I would say um, you don't have to go back to business school the way that you used to. And, oh, okay. I, and I think that's changed. And, you know, particularly with entrepreneurship, the way that it is, um, you know, there's a different path for everyone. Um so I, I, I would say all of these things with enough time and planning, you can figure out whether it be, you know, your MBA from Harvard Business School or, you know, as an entrepreneur, whatever it may be, over time you figure these things out and you sort of find this equilibrium between uh, a commitment and drive and, and, and talent. Uh, but, I, but I would say more than that, you know, picking things that are meaningful long-term and going after them is incredibly satisfying and sometimes you know for for me harvard was like it was it it was an equal mix of sort of my mindset it was the right thing to do and my heart always wanted it and finding um you know balance between what feels right and what you really truly believe is right for you and your heart is important yeah and there were moments in my career where um it was all strategy and no heart and I was never happy in those moments. And as I think about the the decisions that were most impactful, they were the ones where I said, I have to be able to make sense of this intellectually, but this is 90% driven by my gut, my instinct. It's what I want. And um, I think sort of the want, the passion, the desire is a really powerful driver long-term. Yeah. Yeah, that's really uh, insightful for sure. Um, any any principles come to mind at hearing Jeremy say that? Or yeah, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
One is, I remember Jeremy always used to say, oh, I have like a chip on my shoulder about that. And maybe it was the Harvard the first year or little things throughout his career. And I always thought, I think of a chip on your shoulder as being negative. Well, Jeremy absolutely spins it into a positive where he gets a chip on his shoulder and it doesn't make him spiral down. It makes him so much better. Hmm. And so he's always said that. And, and it's taken me years to understand where that's actually gotten him and where having, you know, being brought down or pushed, whatever, push down things happen, of course, to all of us. He makes himself better because of that. He pushes harder, stronger, faster than anyone else because of that, where I think some people could have that get them down hmm. um, and kind of pushed away from their dreams. For him, it's always buoyed him a lot closer. Two, he's really, really smart. So he says, oh, talent, not really, grit, yes. Right. He's very, uh, very, very, He's a very sharp and smart and and the gut instinct is right on. And then the third thing I'd say that I think kind of got him to where he is and all this is he's kind. I had a friend actually that said, you know, I know Jeremy looks nice online and all that, but I know he's, and I'm like, no, no, he really is. Like hmm. people really love him and he is everything I say he is, everything is, you know, employees say he is. And so that combination of the grit and the talent, the brains, um, and being kind, like just, just simple, you know, that simple thing I think is what gives him that X factor, uh, and what's made him so great. We have a rebuttal here. here. Uh, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My biggest supporter in the world. Right. <laughs> nice. Uh, you mentioned in some of the principles you sent me as far as success and failures, cause it is maybe easy. Like you said, to see the online Andrus family and think, oh, they just did everything right. Harvard, uh, you know. Skull Candy and, and Traeger, like everything just works out for them. Tell, tell me about what where, oh where failures are at. <laughs> like all over the place. <laughs> like where, where do I start? You know what? Uh, I would say first of all, as long as you are pushing forward and aspiring to be better and to growing, whether it be professionally in a business or personally, you're going you're gonna to hit bumps along the way. That's just life. Yeah. And how you learn to embrace adversity and learn from it and make it not this painful burden, but something even in the moment where you can acknowledge there's something to be gained from it has, you know, that's something that I've learned recently. Um, you know, as, as I look back at my career, for example, which was really important to me for a lot of years, um, my first job out of college, it's like 90 days in, where I realized I was in the wrong place. Hmm. I was working seven days a week. I didn't enjoy it. I was depressed by it. And that's like one of many. I remember day trading stocks and making oodles and oodles of money and then losing all of it, plus $200,000 more than I had started with. Oh, no. Uh, oh, oh, no, was right. It, <laughs> it, was, it was painful. And you know, it took me 10 years to pay that back plus interest, mm -hmm. uh, plus business school. Um, you know, I remember uh, a, a little startup called Skull Candy where I learned four days in that we were out of money. And so they're just like, I can tell you about so many, some of them are situational. Some of them were sort of me and, and, and weaknesses that I had to overcome, sort of battles of like, if you aspire, aspire to be great, most people aren't. On it, when they start out or along the way. And so there are dozens and dozens of moments that I, I now look back on 
and say, those are the moments that made me. And none of the moments, the, the successful moments are the best. I wouldn't trade them. I love them, but they're not the moments that have at least built me in, in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So any advice as far as when you find yourself in those moments of, of despair or adversity where it's like, well, you look at the $200,000 that you suddenly owe, like, how do you keep things in perspective? Is there a routine you go through? I mean, how do you approach that situation so that you keep going? You know, so I will acknowledge it took me a long time to understand this and, and, and what I'll share, but it was in uh, 2018 uh, at Traeger. Uh, we had had many years of great growth and things went sideways for a lot of, a lot of business reasons. It was a painful year. We just brought in new investors and um, it got hard. And it's the first time in my career where I where, where I, I had learned enough by just reflection and looking back over painful moments that I decided the next time that comes, I'm going to see it as a learning opportunity. I'm going to think prospectively around, you know, having gone to Harvard Business School, it's all case case studies. It's like <laughs> thousands of case studies. I got so tired of them. And yet you realize every single one of them is the story of a person. And they're like these deep, meaningful moments. And some failed and some succeeded. And so I told myself, there's going to be a case study. I am the protagonist. And it hasn't been written yet. And so which to, what are we going to write about? Like, what is the answer? How are we going to look forward on this and, and, and write a positive story? And I learned a couple of things. Number one, you know, business is all about solving problems. And they're sometimes really hard. And that's, that's why you succeed, because you've learned to solve problems as opposed to having those problems feel like burdens. Uh, the other is that when, when you are intrigued by the problems you're solving, as opposed to fearing them, you solve them differently. And you bring in, you know, the, your, the, the, your whole chemistry changes your inspiration, your excitement, your creativity, your resourcefulness, when you actually find them to be interesting, the way that a case study would be if I'm reading from the outside in, no skin in the game, no pain, no glory. But when it's, your, when it, when it's myself, it was the first time I said, this is a fascinating problem that we have to solve. We're going to solve it in a way that's going to lead to a, a positive outcome. And it was fun. And we did. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Christian, I'm curious for you to speak to, you know, I sort of jokingly said you're this power couple uh, in the beginning, but, you know, when somebody in, in a married relationship goes down the path of, of business and, you know, Harvard and starting companies and, you know, the spouse can maybe feel like they blend in the background or, but I feel like you two have done such a good job of staying engaged in, in your own way. Um, so what advice would you give to spouses of the the business graduate who is going on and doing great things and building awesome companies? Yeah, that's a really great question. And this came up the other day when we were actually speaking at BYU. And it was actually one of the professors that said, my wife has a hard time when I'm gone and I'm traveling and what can I do for her? And I said, nothing. 
There is nothing that you can do to help her. She has to do it herself. Hmm. And so when you're the spouse, I remember sitting in our kitchen of our last house and I was like, it's all about you and you get all the awards. And I remember crying and just thinking, we just keep talking. Everything's about you and your business. And and finally it was like, that's not his problem. Like I actually want that for our family. I want him to be successful because when he wins, I win, our family wins. Like hands down, absolutely. That is my goal for him to succeed at you know at everything that he does because then we're all happier but then i realized saying that that then i need to fill my own cup as well and that's going to look different for everyone and that's going to be a lot of learning and searching and what do you find joy in but finding joy and happiness in his success will never be yours ever Mm -hmm. And it can be great for your family, but you can still feel very empty and like there's a void in your life, even if your quote family is successful. So I would say maybe it's something you're prayerful about. Maybe it's something that you um, schedule in time for, that you have time on your own or with friends, what's important to you. Uh, let your husband know, I'm sure you, I, I've been there, you are probably doing a lot for your family because he's working so much. So make sure that you let and say this aloud, these are my needs, honey. This is what I need. These are some things that I really need to be the best mom and the best wife. Because guess what? When you win, he wins and your family wins. And so I think that's so, so important to not look for him or your marriage to make you happy, but to really find that fulfillment. And by the way, it can't be your kids. Kids are awesome and they Mm. fulfill you and they're amazing but you need to be Kristen for a minute, right? Jeremy's Jeremy all day long. Jeremy, Andrew, Jeremy. Hmm. I'm mom a lot. And so when I can find that Kristen voice, even if it's just on a walk in an exercise class, maybe it's something, maybe it's just reading. I can find Kristen for a moment. I can fill that cup and I'm so much better for my family. So, So fast forward many years, I can't tell you how many times we've been walking down the street not just in Utah, but in some other state or country. And people say, are you Kristen Anderson's husband? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I get, high-five them. I nice. get that. I get it all the time. And, and, I, and I think it goes back to a couple of Kristen's superpowers, and she has many. One is she has endless energy and sort of the ability to get things done. And so... She she doesn't let her her circumstances dictate anything in life. She creates her circumstances, and so one of the things that she's described that I think is 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 a real example is that she finds uh, her passion, she finds what inspires her, and then she goes after it hmm. and she does it. And so I think as 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 we are whole independently as a couple in our marriage that's the one plus one equals three hmm. and then then add kids to that and and there's a lot of happiness but i think her point is a good one which is none of those things can um mitigate personal unhappiness or unwillingness to um to, f- to fulfill some of your own your own inner driver or or inspiration yeah yeah. So, and I appreciate your point about the, um, sometimes the default position is like, well, we can find unity together as we focus on the kids together. Right. But there is this, 
moment where Jeremy gets to go to the office or focus on Jeremy in that context, but you're always in the context of maybe your kids and family and those things. So it's important to make that space of being Kristen or finding your own passions that maybe aren't related to your, your kids. Right. Absolutely. And on my own and him and I together, because he used to travel incessantly, worked incessantly, we found that oftentimes in order for us to spend good quality time together, we'd have to escape the house, you know, and go away for a weekend or go on little trips or things like that. And that was kind of our lifeboat of, you know, marriage and keeping the marriage. I mean, the marriage should be the most important relationship by far in front of your kids because you are the base. And uh, I was listening to that song the other day that said, if the house, what is it? If the house isn't, uh, if the bones of the house aren't strong, I'm not going to sing the song, but if the bones (laughs) of the house aren't strong, then it's not going to last. And that's why I feel like we're like the base. We are the bones of this family. And if we are not strong and secure and by the way, happy and fun, and we, you know, can go and be Kristen and Jeremy together, that in the end serves our kids more than we could ever do anything else. Yeah, yeah. So would you, are there any, uh, you know, there's some cliche answers to this, and I want to take those off the table, like as far as, um, like routines or things you do to maybe stay strong as a couple, obviously date night's important, couple prayer or whatever, like, but is there anything maybe we wouldn't expect that really, that's a routine that really keeps the the bones of the family strong? You know, I'd say one thing um, that I feel like he keeps me in the loop and I keep like, I he tells me everything that's going on at Traeger. So I know who they're hiring. I know who they're firing. Mm. I, they're not firing anyone, by the way. <laughs> uh, I know what's coming next. I know really the ins and outs of you know probably skim skimming the surface but i feel very um involved i feel very invested in his day-to-day life which is what takes up most of his life and in on the other side i tell him i'm out at this refugee family this morning and this is what's going on and i'm giving him details so it it can kind of sound like maybe surface but it's actually really important because when you're you could live very parallel lives in the lives that we live because we're both like go-getters and we don't stop but we we make sure that we include and we cross paths a lot just in talking about what we're going through so that we know where the other person's at yeah yeah you know it's uh i really do believe that uh we have come to appreciate each other's passions and share them together even though we spend our time differently and we definitely intersect um you know, uh, Kristen has a lot of passion for Traeger and gets very involved, and we intersect there. Uh, she has uh, a ton of passion for community initiatives, service, refugees, and that's an important part of, like, I, I have really come to share that passion. She leads it. We all participate. But, um, you know, uh, really believing and supporting each other's uh, sort of interests, I, I think it's been an important part of our marriage. That's awesome. Can I say one more thing that Please. I think is, we talk a lot, I've, I've learned a lot about this through podcasts and, and different things, but and Jeremy, I love a book um, that talks about how expectations are the difference between reality and your your expectations and reality. Oh yeah. And so I'm always telling people online and they laugh at me, but I'm like, lower your expectations of your husband, lower your expectations and you will always be happy. And so I joke about that, but like if he can go to the soccer game, I'm thrilled. If I'm constantly feeling like my expectations of Jeremy are missed and they're missed again and I'm bugged again and I'm bugged again, like that's a lot of marriages. You see why I think she, she thinks I'm great? <laughs> no expectations. No, no, but, but I it's- I clear it's, a low bar. 
<laughs> but it's the same with me. Like I feel like I'm I'm probably not the perfect wife, but we we let most things go. And I know that he is never malicious in anything. So if he misses something or, you know, my expectations are at the, they really are. I mean, he always exceeds it. But if you set this high bar and you expect and you don't tell your mm. spouse, yeah, I expect you to be here. This is important to me. If something is important to me, I let him know and he does not miss. But if I'm constantly, it's missed again, it's missed again. I'm, I'm upset again. You, That's normally the root of unhappy marriages and so we're very clear with what's important and we let most stuff go and i think that's really where we come out on top yeah yeah that's and again it goes back to those just simple communication of communicating what's important and the expectations without holding them too high in your own mind and uh because that can really destroy any relationship Mm -hmm. when they keep missing the the bar that they didn't know was there or exactly that (laughs) is so true and and i and i think part and parcel with that is neither one of us is ever critical of the other Hmm. i mean it's just and and i don't know if that's by nature or it's just how we've evolved but there's just no value in criticizing uh there's greater value in serving and looking for positive yeah yeah well i I guess that takes away my next question about no i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, what about uh, another principle? And we, we've covered some of these, like uh, team mentality in marriage. Uh, I think we've uh, you've spoken to that really well. Um, how important showing up is? What, what do you mean by by that, or in what context? So I've been talking um, a lot about this. I in my life and watching other people, I feel like we all have these good intentions. You know, I want to be a better mom. I want to show up for my girlfriend and I'm driving, I'm making dinner, whatever I'm doing, these intentions come all the time. Really good intentions, I think, for most of us. But that's where a lot of us stop. And And we have these good intentions and we don't follow through to the finish line and actually show up for the people in our lives. And I think that's actually applies a lot to our marriage where I could have great intentions to be Jeremy's cheerleader and to really support him with Traeger, but I actually cross over those intentions and I show up for him in meaningful ways. That could be with a girlfriend. That could be for your grandmother. It could be for a neighbor or in your church calling. I want to do this. I have all these great, don't you see like life is people full of great intentions, but the people that show up are the ones that really make change. They're the ones that have amazing relationships. And I always say when you show up is where the magic happens in life. Hmm. That is where the goodness and the bonds and um, it could be for your with your kids. It's really in any relationship is showing up is what is the, for me, the difference between being good and, and being your yeah. very best. And, and it sounds like showing up, uh, being willing to show up sometimes means you're not fully prepared to show up or have everything in, in, in line to really hit a home run for whatever you're showing up for. Exactly. And I would say if your house, if you're waiting to show up when your house is perfect, your hair is perfect or your heart is perfect. You will never show up. Yeah. And so you show my, my whole thing is you show up anyway. Yeah. Like we went to this service project the other day and I, I laughed. My four-year-old said, why do we always have to help people all the time? He was crying. <laughs> and I thought that just made And my then he said, I hate helping people. I hate helping people. It's <laughs> like, so you're I, the wrong family kid. Yeah, I was like, that just like, I feel like the best mom ever that you think we're always helping people but everyone's crying, complaining. Right. I mean, there was so much fighting in the car down to the service project but we showed up anyway. Yeah. And so when you show up anyway, that's 
where uh, that's the magic. Yeah. And I've noticed my own family, usually they're happier getting back in the car than maybe getting out of the car. Always. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, anything you'd add, uh, Jeremy, to, to showing up or? You know what? I, I just think it's a, it's a willingness to look outward and be active and always be extending your energy. And, um, you know, as, as a business leader, this is, this is just a philosophy every single day and it doesn't ever end. Uh, from a family perspective, this is, uh, a, we, we call Kristen our chief culture officer mm-hmm. of our family. Uh, she schedules us out. She finds time. It's never perfect, but we commit to things and, and, and then Kristen makes sure that we, that we show up and deliver. And it's always messy. It's never, it's, it's never clean, but it always feels good. And I think oftentimes, um, you know, simply being willing to keep your feet moving, you know, as, as you said, uh, your heart sometimes follows your actions. Hmm. You show up, you get, you, you, you start an activity that is positive in nature, often outward looking, and it, it, it motivates you to do more of it. Interesting. Tell me about the, uh, with, with Traeger, I mean, going from, uh, you know, the, a brand of, uh, audio earbuds and, and such into grills, like, uh, what was that transition like? Or when, you know, you talking about following your heart or your passions, sometimes your heart follows your passion sometimes, uh, how'd you end up with in the, in the grill business? Hey, do, do you know what? Um, if you'd asked me six years ago, I would have said a stroke of bad luck. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like, it's skull candy was, uh, Skullcandy is where I found my passion of consumer products okay. and disruption and innovation and lifestyle branding, but it was hard. I was definitely not prepared for it. I mean, when you when you look at when you think about all of the things that I did at Skullcandy, I was learning all of these things on the fly. I remember the first time I went to China? Uh, it was a long trip. I didn't know where I was going. Uh, I, I didn't have people that spoke English. I, I figured it out. Um, and the 50th trip to China was a lot easier than the first one. And there were a lot of moments that Skull Candy moved so fast for me that I was always a step behind. And it was hard. Hmm. It was hard. I mean, we, we took the business public, and we were the highest shorted stock on the NASDAQ, which means wow. that more than any stock on that exchange, Wall Street was betting against us. And so... You have these moments along the way that uh, you simply have to, I had to step back and reflect and understand what I'd learned. And so fortunately between Skull Candy and, and, and Traeger, uh, I took a year off and it was an opportunity to write about my experience, to reflect, to really understand the failures better and to, to figure out how they may become strengths and really a blueprint for the future. Yeah. It was an opportunity to get to know my family because I'd been working and traveling too much. Um, and so it was a very informative year for me to really reset my personal and my professional life. And so my family life has been so much better since then. But going into Traeger, it was like as much as they may seem like different businesses, the analogs of what we're trying to build are incredibly similar. Sleepy category, no innovation, durable, hard, good, disruptive branding. And so it's a very different customer, very different, very different product category. Um, but I felt like the second time I was more prepared than the first time. Hmm. And I, I think that's one of the themes that I'm learning more and more in my career 
is business isn't rocket science, but pattern recognition is important. And so the, the problems, unfortunately, are different every time. But you start to develop this toolkit and this mentality of how to approach problems. You start to develop more confidence in yourself. And you realize when you're faced with a hard problem that you have no idea how to solve, that if you are calm and you access resources and you call mentors and you rely upon your team, you work through them. And so Traeger Traeger has been such a better experience. It was was rough out of the gate, Mm -hmm. and I'm confident we have bumps ahead of us. But um, having a blueprint... Uh, from having uh, stubbed my toe a number of times along the way has been incredibly valuable. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, you mentioned this reset period between Skullcandy and, and Traeger. Like, uh, I would imagine in a high-intensity you know, business roles that you've been in, this reset's really important. And so, um, I, I mean, what, what advice would you give as far as taking time to reset? I mean, obviously... You can't just leave a company every time you need to reset, right? Uh, right and, and start yeah. a new venture. And so, um, any advice on on resetting? You know what? So, so there are a couple of things that I think about. One is, I realize that Skull Candy moved at such a rapid pace for eight years that I thought at the time I didn't have, I didn't really have a moment to to think, to reflect, to be introspective, and I think I think personally and professionally. Being committed to doing that every day is important. Um, you have to learn. You have to learn along the way. Um, at Skull Candy, I was, I, 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 I was, I'd always been so driven by my career, but Skull Candy became consuming not just because I wanted it to, it's because I was holding on for dear life. <laughs> and I've realized there are things that I could do differently. You're right. You can't. Every time you leave a company, you can't take a year off. Yeah. Um, but what you can do is slowly build towards something that creates a system in which you can do more than one thing well. And so, you know, how I've built my reporting structure at Traeger, I have five direct reports, not the 14 that I had at Skull Candy. Mm. Uh, I've learned how to build a better team so that I can rely on them to, to, to do the work and not feel like I have to do it all myself. Um, and you also realize you, you, I, I have learned to prioritize and to make trade-offs. And you know, early on, I wasn't willing to make a trade-off because I was so committed to being successful and to building building a business. And it gave me this false sense of an ability to stretch the day. Hmm. You know, the day is twenty-four hours, and I thought if I worked a little bit longer and a little bit faster, I could get more done. What I realized is it made me inefficient, less productive and less thoughtful. And so you can really mistake action for progress. Mm. And this is one of the pieces that I think a lot about. Um, I, ta- I take the kids to school most days, um, all days pre-COVID and, 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 and most days now. Uh, I drop them off at 8.15. I'm in the office by 8.30. And it doesn't matter how busy I am. At 6.30, I shut my laptop and I go home. And so in the, in, in, in the middle of a sentence, I'm done and I walk out. Um, that require, because I know I can't stay till midnight, it requires me to be much smarter on how I prioritize. And so I don't get, I don't get the 100 things done on my list, 
but I get the five most important things done. And so I now go to work, not with the, not with the mentality of I need to be productive and get stuff done, but with this this thought process of what are the two or de- two or three decisions that I can make today? What are the two or three things that I can uniquely do in my role that move the needle on the business? as opposed to how do I check off a list of 100 things? And so I I would say the combination of all of those things has made me more effective. And you also just realize that if I work 20 more hours a week, I could probably be a better CEO. But those are the 20 hours that I get with my family. And so that is a trade-off that I had to be willing to make. And there are certain sacrifices that you may be willing to make early in your career Fortunately for me, I was I was single for so many years, and then our kids were young. So when I was making sacrifices, they were sacrifices of my own time, and I was willing to make them. Mm-hmm. But I got to a moment where I realized I was letting valuable uh, valuable time with my with my family pass too quickly, and the trade off wasn't worth it. And so I I think understanding those trade offs and realizing that there is no moment where you end, they, they, there's no one who ends their career and wishes they had spent more time in the office. I just can't imagine envisioning yeah. that moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, talk to me about the the giver mentality. Maybe, Kristen, this is something that you're uh, passionate of making sure that in your family culture that this giver mentality is clearly established. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a book I read called Give and Take. I don't know if you've read oh, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's funny because then you look in your family and your kids and you're like, oh, she's a matcher uh-huh. and she's a giver. And then you try to understand what you are. And, and Jeremy's always actually been a really good example of a giver mentality. He would meet, you know, take on all these mentors and, and spend so much time with people and energy with people. And I thought, why is he doing that? Like, we don't even see him. But what you realize in this giver mentality, and I've come to realize in my life and with my children and in the community, that the more I give and the more that I kind of open up to that, the more doors that open as well. And you Mm. don't do it, you don't give in order to get back, but you realize your network, your world, your community, um, you know, the strength around you, your village just opens up and these doors and this world that you never knew about um, becomes yours when you have this giver mentality and when you're trying to match. And, and I think you could actually look at this a lot with marriage as well. Um, if you're giving and giving just to give and you're not expecting, once again, expectations, you're not <laughs> expecting that back in return and looking for that match. I think early in our marriage, I was always looking for that match and you'll always come out, you know, it's, it's never a match, right? There's different seasons. And so um, I realize that if I'm a giver with my children, in my friendships, in my marriage, definitely out in the community, that it comes back so much more than you could ever imagine. And your world um, just becomes so much bigger than you could imagine. Yeah. You know, the, the, this has been, um, to Kristen's credit, probably the greatest rally cry in our family. Hmm. It's figure, it's, it's being committed to serve. And Kristen really, really leads this. And, and I, I will say there are days where I say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm either so busy or I'm so tired <laughs> from the week. And we go. Yeah. And we never regret it. And, you know, it's um, this is one of her superpowers as well, which is she has a desire to do good. 
And when and when you find the intersection between that and just boundless energy and ability to get things done, it's been it's it, it it's 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 amazing to watch. And early on, I would I would think to myself, but we're so busy. Yeah. We have so much to do. And um and, and 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 it's a perfectly fine excuse. What I've realized now that we're in the middle of it, to some extent, looking back, if we didn't schedule some of these things, if there weren't an ongoing commitment, and Kristen's like a, a day doesn't go by that she's not devoting multiple hours, and a week doesn't go by that our family's not somehow involved. You can always be too busy for it if you don't commit to it and schedule it. You don't do it, and I see and I see the. Uh, you know, I see the impact on, on our children, and you know, early on when we would, uh, we we would be downtown uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, feeding the hungry, and early on our children would sort of look at them with some fear, and you know, this is not where I come from, and this is a little bit uncomfortable, or the first time they walk into uh, a a humble apartment uh, of of a refugee family. There's a there's some discomfort uh, because it, it just feels different than where they grew up, and we see them now, and they embrace them. They're comfortable. They've seen it enough. They've been a, they, enough a part of this process that I think it's one of the great gifts that Kristen has given to our family that has really changed. I think how our children view the world. Yeah, and I, I almost think it's like you know, when we've had some transactions that has enabled us to do some of these things, um, I almost like, well, we have to like, you know, I don't want to be humbled. I want to be humble. (laughs) And so in order to stay grounded, in order to keep ourselves, like he said, you know, moving in the right direction, because it's easy to start steering and consuming and worrying about stuff. And, you know, kids then start worrying about that kind of stuff. And so I felt like, we actually had no other choice. Like this was what, this was our responsibility and where much is given, much is required. And I actually felt kind of like it was a calling. Like this is what our family needs to do and we're gonna choose to do and continue to choose to do to stay on this path where we stay grounded, we stay humble and we remember that this is all a gift that we've been blessed with and that our job is to then help help other people. Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, obviously we're, we're part of a remarkable religious organization that gives many opportunities of, of service or, you know, putting ourselves out there and volunteering our time. And it's important to create space for, you know, giving back, but sometimes it's hard not to let, you know, our church callings and responsibilities completely fill that time that we've been able to squeak out at, at the end of a tired day. So, I mean, how do you balance that with, because it, it, maybe it is easy just to say, well, I'm just going to focus on my ward and help out where I'm asked to serve and I'm good there, right? I think it's important to start there. Absolutely. But I think there is something that stretches you and breaks your heart a little bit and expounds your world in getting out of your neighborhood and bubble. Hmm. That we can drive five miles away and be in, it feels like a different world and help people. I sat in someone's, on their couch today and we went and we looked, this is this morning, we looked in their cupboard, they had flour and a half a bag of cereal. They have five kids. Like that is five miles from my house. 
I can minister and I should minister. And I, sh- and I brought, you know, I bring my neighbor dinner the other night who just had a baby and that's awesome. But if I'm really like, if I'm going to be Christ's hands here on earth, I'm also for me personally mm-hmm. and our family, I feel it's important to get outside of our neighborhood and, and reach across, right? Reach into different, different, uh, races, different religions, different neighborhoods, socioeconomic levels. To me, that is so important. And maybe that's not to everyone. And and I do yeah, think yeah. the ministering um, and helping in the neighborhood is absolutely key. For me, it stretches us even more and has become, honestly, I feel the spirit more doing that. I have yeah. to admit, re- to, to reaching these people that are not being helped. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And, and just that level of proactivity, you can find a deeper experience there. You know, yeah. I often reflect on my time as a bishop where it was almost like too easy to feel like I'm really, I mean, cause it was just like, they come to me, you know, I, right. I have an office and I, they just, and, and it's a remarkable experience. I saw some remarkable miracles, but it's almost like taking that, creating, make sure their space of being proactive and going out and finding a need that maybe isn't coming to the surface readily. Right. I, I would also just add, uh, she said it perfectly that there, there's something about the experience of serving when you're not asked to. Mm. And um, you should feel the same level of love and joy and willingness to serve when it's your calling. But when you choose to do it, it's a remarkable experience. Hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Awesome. Um, and, and we've sort of touched on this around this uh, giver mentality point as far as like uh, relationships, community, and connecting to everything. Anything you'd add uh, to that principle? You know, I just think... Um back to your original question about us is we've just created like we haven't we are very active participants in building community you could absolutely say that about traker grills um, i think i could say that about my my life i think i could say that about our family life but we are actively engaged in the community we say yes we show up we jeremy's absolutely I, I don't know if i'd call it networking jeremy absolutely networks and has a huge network that's been such a blessing in our lives and and in all ways and um, different things that we're involved in. And I would say the same, the more, you know, I always say make your circle a horseshoe. And I think that's, it's, it's the refugees, it's the people that are different. It's my wonderful friend who's Muslim, who I just saw the other day and gave a big hug and she said, I'm so tired because it's Ramadan. I thought, I'm so grateful that I know you. I'm so grateful that you're a part of my circle. And so it's, it's building this community and this village and I will say a big part of it is that my kids see that. Like I want my kids, especially in Utah, which is where we live, it's it can be very comfortable. And I want my kids to be as uncomfortable as possible. And so I want to build friendships and network a community that is different than us, that looks different and thinks different and believes different than us. For me, that's really important. Yeah, wow, that's powerful. Anything you add to that, Jeremy? As far as... It's it's been an, it's been interesting to think about the importance and the power of community over COVID, and uh, in in a way that I had never contemplated before. But when you feel scared and you feel on your own, uh, suddenly your interactions with other people become that much more important. Mm-hmm. And I remember as you know when we were in quarantine, as we'd walk down the street and see a neighbor friend whom we would have busily raced past. Uh, in, in, in our ordinary lives, you stop and ask how they're doing. And you actually care. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something that um, I appreciate more and more. And community is, is, is simply extending yourself 
wherever there are other human beings. And uh, it's, it's been very satisfying to slow down a little bit. I don't travel for work hardly, hardly at all. And to take the time to ask people how they're doing and to be willing to reach out and create communities elsewhere. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think this last point uh, would be be great to wrap up on as far as uh, the gospel and your experience with the gospel and that uh, you say it's personal and everyone should find how they best connect with, with Christ. Expound on that. I'll start with that. I think as Jeremy just commented with COVID, it was so interesting in bringing church home. And I think it used to be you showed up to the word building and you could check that off for the week. And you could even check it off for your kids because they were in three hours of church. <laughs> like way to go. We all made it. And now it's it's personal because it's at home and you're teaching your children the basics of the gospel that you hope touches their heart. And, you, and I think it just pared down a lot of, for me, this is personal, right. um, a lot of the stuff that that was just that didn't matter maybe and it brought it home to my relationship with christ and the way that i can best do that maybe and is different than the way that jeremy does that and it may be that my kids do it differently and allowing them to forge their own path and to introduce this is why we love our church and this is how i connect with christ and this is you know how he's my friend and what we've been through together and you'll do it your own way and i hope you choose this path instead of kind of walking down like i feel like when i was growing up it was like you do this you do this if you mess up you're in big trouble <laughs> and i just think it's more personal now and it's personal for each child that we have and it's yeah. personal for me and my relationship with christ and the goal is just to for me to have that to have him and I become closer and closer every day and uh, having that having I'd like to find something that sticks if I try to push and do something and do something that just doesn't work for me but then when I find something that sticks um, that's where I feel my testimony grows and um, it, it pushes me helps me become closer to him awesome you know we we really really try to ensure that uh, our faith in Christ is integrated into our conversations and into our lives. And I, I, I think it's, it's been so interesting over the last 14 months, and we're just starting to go back to church every couple of weeks, that when there was no box to check, the only definition of success was, did we have a good conversation? Did we feel the spirit as we talked to our children about some gospel but life principle, some Christian value? And, um, you know, we think a lot about how do we make sure that um, we are not only setting an example but enabling our children to make, to make their faith in Christ their own and not ours. And at um, same time, one of the things that we've missed that, that uh, I'm looking forward to again is our children being able to go back to back to primary, yeah, and to uh, to interact with other children and have that, that those friendships uh, to listen to incredible teachers teach them the things where there are gaps we don't get it all right we love for them to go and learn those things and but but ultimately and I don't know if this is. Uh, generational or, or or just a different perspective uh we truly hope that our children's that the conversation that we have in our home is um it's not about checking the box it's not about the do's and don'ts they exist 
but that it's driven by uh, a, a a foundation of faith and and their ability to feel the spirit the way that we do. Awesome, love that. I got one more question for you before that. Uh, if pe- I know many, both of you are quite active online, and so if people want to follow your journey there, where where would you send them? Uh, Kristen Andrus on Instagram, and I have free YouTube workouts. So on oh, YouTube, nice. you can look up Kristen Andrus. I have two hundred and fifty of them. So there's no excuses. Come work out with me. Get sweaty. Get get some uh, endorphins. They're free, but you pay the price afterwards. <laughs> ah, that's true. Nothing's free. I, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I post a lot of family, but mostly food stuff yeah. for, for Traeger. Jeremy nice. Andrus. Awesome. So last question is, or more of uh, just getting some encouragement from you. If you were in front of a room full of MBA, undergrad, or MBA students or alumni, what encouragement would you give them either to them or their spouse or whomever? Kristen, do you want to start? You know, I'd say um, look for the good. Look for the good in your spouse. Look for the good in the church. Look for the good in your child who's, you know, driving you crazy. You will, if you're looking for the bad, you will find the bad. And if you look for the good, you will find the good in everyone, in any circumstance. And so it's where you're putting that attention. Look for the good. I think finding joy in the journey is so important. And uh, I wish sometimes that for, for the early years of my career that I had been less ambitious, less sort of focused on some end result and more willing to enjoy the days, the interactions, being part of a team that are actually where real satisfaction in your career comes from. There's no destination. I mean, like the only destination in career is retirement. Like why, why would you look forward to that? And so, you know. By the way, some people would, Jeremy. Oh Jeremy <laughs> Jeremy will never retire, ever. Because, a lot of people look forward to retirement. Because it's so fun. And I, you know, people sometimes ask me, what's next actually i get that question what's next and the answer is there's nothing next like this is it the grass beneath my feet is the greenest grass out there and um you know i i I overuse the uh chinese proverb the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today this is a lesson that i wish i'd understood the first 10 years of my career but i'm grateful i understand now enjoy the days enjoy the journey yeah, enjoy enjoy the incredible friends you make along the way. The end point just doesn't matter. Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guest and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society.